All right. Well, um, we have a guest preacher, as I said, and everyone pretty much here knows Mitch. But I want to just say something uh, about uh, Mitch. So we've been going through Romans for a while now, and Romans 9 through 11 is specifically about how the gospel relates to Israel. And really, chapter 11 in, in particular is about how God has not rejected his people that he always has a remnant. In fact, the Apostle Paul will say, Mitch will get into this, that he himself is a Jewish believer. And so how fitting I think it is for us to have a Messianic Jewish person, a Jewish believer in Jesus, um, who will actually preach the passage that says, I myself am an Israelite and yet still in the Lord Jesus. But it also worked out that this week I was at a Chosen People Ministries event. So my wife works as an assistant to Mitch, Uh, Mitch is the Vice President of Chosen People Ministries in the U.S. and in the U.K., and so I got to tag along, and it was a great event. Uh, We were in the Jersey Shore area, and um, just to see and experience the number of Jewish believers in Jesus is very, very encouraging. Rich, uh, uh, there was a Gideon Bible in the room, just so you know, so we're we're getting every, you guys are getting everywhere, it's great, it's excellent. But um, uh, Mitch, for a lot of years, was part of Jews for Jesus. You guys know what Jews for Jesus is? You've heard of that name probably before. Uh, So Mitch explained it to me. Jews for Jesus are kind of like the Marines. They're on the ground. They're the ones that were walking around New York City and getting in people's faces and talking to them about the Lord. And for many, many years, Mitch was a missionary with uh, Jews for Jesus uh, and now is with Chosen People. Chosen People is actually the older ministry. Jews for Jesus came out of Chosen People Ministries. But if, if the Jews for Jesus are the Marines, what would we say about Chosen People? They're the Pentagon, I guess you would say. Uh, they're the ones who send out. Um, and uh, just an amazing ministry of what's going on there. So Mitch has been doing this for a long time. And one of the things that came clear from this event is that they had a breakout year last year uh, in terms of ministry to the Jewish people. A breakout year. And their whole theme this year was the next generation. So God is doing something pretty amazing and mighty among the Jewish people. And I'm looking forward to hearing what Mitch has to say. Um, One last thing has nothing to do with anything, Mitch. We uh, we did golf. We had a foursome. Mitch killed all three of us. So whatever that's worth. So Mitch, come on up and preach with us. Let me get settled here, and Rick, it's to your benefit that I destroyed you, and the reason why is, do you want your pastor to be really good at golf? Because that means he's on the golf course instead of preparing for the message. You can see that I spend a lot of time on the golf course. I should be spending more time reaching Jewish people with the good news. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Rick, for... You know, every summer I always ask Rick if I can preach, you know, and help him out a little bit. And how appropriate that I get to preach a message this morning that actually Paul was talking to me personally. So I'm very happy. And today you're going to hear a couple of things. First, you're the first people in the 30-year history of me doing ministry that I'm preaching in jeans have never preached in jeans before. Because I've always felt like, you know, I'm a guest when I come to the pulpit. But because your pastor preaches in jeans sometimes, I took the liberty of just following his attire. You know, so I have jeans, but you notice a nice shirt and a jacket. So I guess if you just look at me from this up, I look like an old-style pastor, okay? Down, that's millennial. And so the first time ever preaching in jeans. In fact, I told my wife, I don't think I could do it. But I succumbed and because there are traditions, you know. And this morning, you're going to hear some things from me. And you're going to hear some things from Christians to the Jewish people that for many of you are going to be the first time and you're going to be shocked. I just want you to know. It's a very difficult passage for me to preach because it's very personal. But I want you to know that we're here to stand on the Apostle Paul. 
And Paul was where we take our guidance from this morning because we're going to be in Romans chapter 11. And as you can see, uh, the name of my message is election, not rejection. Rejection, unfortunately, is part of life. Life can be full of rejection. Do you remember the first time you were with a group of friends and as a kid they said, we don't want you to be part of our group anymore? That happens to everybody. Okay. Guys, do you remember the first time you asked a girl out and she just blatantly said, no way? I remember that. Women, I can't speak for women, but do you remember the first time that you liked somebody and they wouldn't ask you out? Or the first time, I know, past generations, women didn't ask boys out. But rejection is part of that relationship. When you apply to college, I'm very happy that you all graduated. How many rejection notices did you get until you got... I mean, it's very difficult to get a residency, correct? I understand you have to kind of submit a lot, get rejected, and you find one that hopefully fits. And that's part of the process. You know, you get rejected. Anybody here ever go to a job interview and not get it? It's part of life. Well, how about the first time you got fired? I remember the first time I got fired because I wasn't doing my job and I took it very personally. That's about as low as I got in my life and because I got fired from a job enabled me to take another job that I really didn't want and I met a Christian girl, she shared the gospel and I came to faith. So not a bad time to be rejected. And... Obviously, life can be full of rejection, even for very famous people. Before Walt Disney built the empire, he did today, do you know he was fired from a newspaper? And you know why they fired him? They said, you lack imagination. (laughs) Oprah got fired from a job on television because they said, you're unfit for TV. And now she built a billion-dollar empire. Okay? Steven Spielberg, who happens to be Jewish. He's made some of the great films of our time. And he was rejected from the University of Southern California, who probably have the best theater and film school in the country. They rejected him three times. He weren't good enough. So even famous people. Even the Beatles... I mean, the Beatles are probably considered the greatest band of all time. And, you know, it's funny because every holiday they usually, I get serious radio, and they usually do the top 100. And it's funny because I was listening to the Beatles channel. You should have heard all the songs that got rejected out of the top 100, and they were probably more famous than most bands will ever produce in their life. But... Decca Recording Studios had recorded 15 songs with the group. And the executive fired them and said, we don't like your sound, and the guitar music is on its way out. So they even got rejected. So as I said, life can be full of rejection. And if you're Jewish, life is full of rejection. You know? Um, because too many of the Jewish people over the course of years has heard this. And this is going to be new to you, because unless you were raised Jewish, you probably didn't experience this, but for many, many, many years, Jewish people have heard, you rejected Jesus, God rejected you as a people. And almost every Jewish person has experienced that at one point or another. And unfortunately, a lot of those people who said that said that they were Christian. So it was coming from the one group that should have been reaching out to the Jewish people. So I want to just read some history to you so you can understand not only where Paul was coming from, but I believe that Paul and all the New Testament writers are also prophets. 
and they could predict the future as well. And I think that in the, today's passage, Paul wasn't just talking about things that were happening in his time. I think it was a prophetic warning to the church not to go down this road. Because Romans 11 says, has God rejected the Jewish people? Now, why would Paul start a paragraph, why has God rejected the Jewish people, rhetorically, if he wasn't seeing parts of that already happening? And I also believe it's a warning to the church later on. Don't go down this road. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of church read Romans 11 verse 1. Because I just want to read a few things from history. This is from the epistle of Barnabas in 130 AD. So pretty new in the church. Take heed to yourself and be not like some piling up your sins and saying that the covenant is theirs as well as ours. It is not for the Jewish people. They lost it and completely gave it up after Moses received it. That was very early on. That was less than 100 years after Paul wrote Romans. How about Origen? Oh, we all know about Origen. He's one of the church fathers, a tremendous teacher, and contributor to Christianity. He wrote this. May we thus assert an utter confidence that the Jews will not return to the earlier situation for they had committed the most abominable of crimes in forming this conspiracy against the savior of the human race. Hence their city where Jesus suffered was destroyed, the nation was driven, and God did not believe in his election. St. Augustine how hateful to me are the enemies of your scriptures. How I wish that I could slay them, the Jews, with a two-edged sword. And when you grow up Jewish, unfortunately, you hear this a lot. That let's talk about the history of the Christians, and this is what you hear. Okay, so I'm trying to bring you into my world today because it's very appropriate. Peter, Peter the Venerable, known as the, one of the meekest men in Christianity, wrote, Yes, you Jews, I say, do I address you? You who till this very day deny the Son of God, how long, poor wretched, will you not believe the truth? Truly, I doubt whether a Jewish person is actually human. England had its own role in the history because they're the birthplace of, in the Jewish world, what's called blood libel. They started an accusation against the Jewish people in the Middle Ages that said that Jews murder Christian children because they needed the blood to make their matzah at Passover. And then... Uh, Rick, unfortunately, I have to bring up Martin Luther because at the end of his life, he became vehemently against the Jews, so much so that he wrote a booklet called On the Jews and Their Lies. And I just want you to know as a Jewish person, I believe God used Martin Luther in a very mighty and powerful way. But as you see through the history of the scriptures, Abraham... King David, Moses, God uses imperfect people sometimes to bring about his perfect plan. And I believe Martin Luther was used by God, but he had some flaws. And those flaws really have really deep roots into this accusation against the Jews. What then shall we Christians do with this damned, rejected race of Jews? And I hate to use that word, but that's what he wrote. Since they live among us, and we know about their lying and blasphemy and cursing, we cannot tolerate them if we do not wish to share in their lies, curses, and blasphemy. So he wrote a list of the things that the church should do. First, this synagogue should be set on fire so that they can't worship there. Two, 
Their homes likewise shall be broken down and destroyed for the perpetuate the same things at the synagogue. Third, we should burn all of their prayer books and books of study. Fourth, their rabbis must be forbidden under threat of death to teach anymore. So to sum up, we must totally and desperately do as much as possible to thoroughly get rid of this evil, poisonous, devilish lot of the Jewish people. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about my dad. When I came to be a believer, my dad came to me and said, Mitch, what did you do? I go, what do you mean? He goes, you joined the enemies. You joined them. How dare you do that to our family? And then he would tell me stories of him growing up. It didn't happen to me. I grew up in Peabody, and I grew up with a lot of Christians or Catholics around me. But my dad, every day, my grandfather moved from a very Jewish area of Boston and, and um, actually in the uh, Blue Hill area of Boston. At one point, you know, there was 100,000 Jewish people that lived in Roxbury, Dorchester, and Mattapan along Blue Hill Ave. In fact, there were so many Jewish people there that called it Jew Hill Ave. My grandfather moved from there to Mission Hill, very tough Catholic neighborhood in Boston. And my dad told me stories almost every day. Dirty Jew, Christ killer, During the Passover time, they perpetuated the story of him wanting to kill Christian boys for their blood. So you can see that the Jewish people have heard from millennium. You rejected God. God rejected you. So now how do we take this rejection rhetoric and now take hold of it? And how do we now as a body, go out and proclaim the good news to the Jewish people. And that's what our passage is all about today. You can do it. How do I know? Because nine out of ten Jewish people will come to faith, guess what? Through the witness of a faithful Christian. I'm one of them. And you can do it too. And so we're here today to go through this. Okay? And I want everyone here today to take heed to this passage in scripture. It is vital that you grapple with it and that you understand. I needed you to understand the history. It had already fomented itself in the time of Paul and Paul was at the very beginning of the church world. I just gave you almost a 2,000 year history since and it has not been pleasant. However, we have Paul to thank for telling us how to deal with this And we're going to talk about that the Jewish people are elected, not rejected. And Paul's going to walk us through. And we're going to just deal with five arguments against rejection this morning. We're going to deal with a covenantal, a biography, a theological, historical, and prophetic. So if you would turn your scriptures to Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I hope I got everybody's attention. And in Romans 11, verse 1, nope, go back, Kina. And just the first part of Romans chapter 11, Paul writes, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Far from it. He answers the first question, has God rejected the Jewish people? Absolutely not. And the first argument here is going to be covenantal. Why? I highlighted his people. The Jewish people are God's people. They're his people. He made a covenant with him. The first refutation of this rejection motif appears in Romans 11.1 with the use of the word his Paul refers to Israel as still being God's people. 
Since Paul obviously wrote Romans after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, this indicates that there remains a special covenantal relationship between God and Israel. And even though Israel as a nation did reject as a nation in full to recognize her Messiah, God's promises do not fail. And in Jeremiah 31, 35 through 37, God promises that as long as the sun and the moon and the stars continue to exist, the seed of Israel will remain a special nation before him. And I don't know about you, we still have a sun, we still have a moon, we still have stars, we still have the Jewish people. It's a miracle that I'm even here. I mean, where are the Hittites? Where, where, where are all the ites in the Bible? Where are, the, where are all these old ancient nations? They are utterly destroyed. We, for 2,000 years, did not even live in the land that God covenanted to us. But God's covenant to his people that we would always exist is something that we have to stand on. God made a covenant with Abraham that he would be a people, and I am proof that his covenant is still around today. Amen? Because in Genesis 12, 2, Moses wrote about what God told Abram. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. In fact, not only is the Jewish people still here today, we are a mighty blessing to the world. And I'm going to share that with you in a few minutes. The next argument. Next slide. And Romans 1, 1b. For I myself and as Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So the next argument is what we call biological. Why? Because Paul writes, I'm from the seed of Abraham. Now he's from the tribe of Benjamin, Today, unfortunately, most Jewish people don't know their specific tribe. I don't know my tribe, but I know that I'm Jewish. And I often joke because how many people here have taken a DNA test? Wow, I would think a lot more than that. I often joke with my wife, I don't need to take a DNA test. I know I'm Jewish. So why do I need to pay somebody to tell me what I already know? My grandma, my father and mother were Jewish. My great-grandfather was Jewish. My great-great-great-great-grandfather was Jewish. And you know what? When I read the Bible, you know what I get the privilege of doing? This is my family. Do you realize when I see the name of Abraham, that's my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. I'm a seed of Abraham just like Paul is. And I can stand on what he says. Biographical, God didn't reject the Jewish people because biographical, he's always, always had Jewish people here. And he argues from his own encounter as a Jew with the Messiah. And I can say the same thing as Paul says, as Rick said, you know. I'm a Jew. I'm still here. So I am biologically Jewish and nobody can take that away from me, whether what I believe or not. When you're in Jewish ministry, the argument is, if you believe in Jesus, you're no longer Jewish, you're Gentile. You've converted, because you've believed in the Gentile Messiah. See, Jewish people believe that Gentiles have their Messiah, Jesus, and the Jewish people are waiting for their Messiah. Not true. There's only one Messiah. And he's Jewish, and he came for both Jew and Gentile. Amen. Amen. Next slide. Paul continues. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? So now we deal with a third argument called the theological argument. And Paul's third refutation, based on the foreknowledge of God, 
is found in Romans 11, 2a. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. It came as no surprise to the Almighty that all of Israel did not accept the Messiah. In fact, it was predicted in the Old Testament. Isaiah wrote this. He was despised and rejected. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Writing about the Jewish Messiah 700 years before Jesus even came. God knew that the Jewish world would reject his Messiah. And even though Israel's rejection of the Messiah was crucial to what would happen later on, God has not rejected the Jewish people even though we rejected the Messiah. But in their rejection, God's universal plan came to fruition. It was part of his plan to save the world. We read this in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Acts 4.28. We're reading about it here in Romans. Next slide. Um, oh, I don't have it on the slide, but let me read what Peter preached his first time preaching to the Jewish people in Acts chapter 2 after he's filled with the Holy Spirit just days after Jesus comes and is crucified. He says, and he stands up in front of all Israel and says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested by you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. God knew that the Jewish people would reject him. He tells Peter to preach it to the Jewish people that it would happen, but it doesn't mean that God rejected the Jewish people. Acts 4.27, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Yeshua, whom you anointed, <clears throat> both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and purpose predestined for you to occur. So not only did the Jewish people reject Jesus, saying that the whole world rejected him. Next slide. Now we continue because now we're going to deal with a historical argument. <clears throat> and we're going to read a few more verses. <clears throat> Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I am alone is left. They seek my life. This is Elijah. Next slide. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to bow. So God had a remnant. Elijah thought he was the only one, not so fast. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now this is Paul writing, so there was a remnant in Paul's time at the birth of the Messiah. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Grace allows a remnant because it's part of God's plan, not because we're working at it. Next slide. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So in a sense, part of God's plan of election of Israel is to always have a remnant. A remnant who believes. And it went all the way back to Abraham. Paul talks about Elijah. Paul talks about himself. Now he's going to talk about Moses. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. So there was even a remnant at the time of Moses. Continue. And King David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their bears <clears throat> and bend their backs forever. <clears throat> Next slide. So now we have an historical argument. 
The fourth refutation is historical. <clears throat> From Romans 11, 2 to 10, Paul argues here, it's always been just a remnant or a minority within Israel that has been faithful to God. That minority is called a remnant. Paul gives four examples. Elijah, Paul, Moses, King David. And Paul, earlier on in Romans chapter 9, verse 27, actually quotes Isaiah. And listen to what Isaiah wrote in 10.22. <clears throat> and this is repeated going on with Jeremiah, Ezra, Amos, Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah. For though your people Israel be as sand of the seashore, only a remnant will return. So there's always been a remnant. It's God's plan. Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's a mystery. I don't know why God chose to come down in the flesh and die for our sins. Did anybody see that coming? It was in the scriptures, but nobody saw it. Did anybody see the fact that the Jewish Messiah was going to be for Gentiles? Another mystery, yet that's God's plan. And why there's always just a remnant? I don't know, but I'm happy that me and my family are part of that remnant today. Praise God. But I want you to see that there's been always a remnant. I represent the modern movement, but I can't sit there and say, Paul and then me. Because there's been a tremendous history and Rick, I want to thank you for showing some of the I Found Shalom biographies. They're pretty good testimonies. I want you, you're very familiar with church history and church fathers. I want you not only to see modern day, I want you to see how God used certain Jewish believing men in the history of the world so that you will see that the remnant of Israel wasn't just for Israel, it was for the good of the world. So let me introduce a few of these men to you, okay? Rabbi Judah Monus, 1722, after becoming the first Jewish individual to receive a college degree in America, he got an MA from Harvard. First Jewish guy in America to receive a postgraduate degree. Publicly embraces faith in the Messiah. Why is he important? He publishes the first Hebrew grammar book to be used in all universities in the country as a Jewish believer. Amen. Next slide. Michael Solomon Alexander, 1800, was an English rabbi who came to faith in the Messiah in 1825. The British Parliament appointed him the first Anglican bishop of Jerusalem. He built the first Protestant church in the Middle East. In Israel, Christ Church, which still stands today as you enter into the old city. And when we were there, we walked by it. It's still there. Who put it there? A Jewish believer in the Messiah. Amen. Next slide. Benjamin Disraeli, 1804, is best known as the 19th century Prime Minister of England who built the Suez Canal. You think that's important for supply chain? And with funding from the Rothschilds, a very influential Jewish group. He was also a very popular author who never hid his Jewish ancestry and once told Queen Victoria, Your Majesty, I am the blank page between the Old Testament and the New. I don't know what he means by that, but I guess, you know, he never hid the fact that he was a Jewish believer and he's the Prime Minister of Israel. Very famous person in UK politics. Next slide. Felix Mendelssohn, 1860, a man of devout faith, was grandson of one of the most famous Jewish philosophers and writers in Jewish history. Moses Mendelssohn, or his name is Rambam. He has written more things that today Jewish people still study and still believe is true. And his grandson was a believer in Yeshua. And he wrote some of the great Christian music. And he wrote the standard tune for Hop the Herald Angels Sing. So the next time we sing that at Christmas, understand a Jewish person who is a believer in Jesus wrote the melody for that music. Next slide. 
Hans Herzl. He's the son of Theodor Herzl. Theodor Herzl is very instrumental in the history of the world. Why? He's the first Zionist. Theodor Herzl wrote that the plight of Jewish persecution and rejection of the world would be a reestablishment of the state of Israel. And he was the first person in the world to convene Jewish and Christians together in a Zionist conference in Basel, Switzerland. And that led to finally, later on down the road, Israel becoming a country again. His son became a believer in Yeshua, which is amazing. You're talking about some of the most influential Jewish people in the history of the Jewish people and their relatives. Their sons, grandsons were believers. And Herzl wrote something. He committed suicide. He had um, bipolarism. But look at what he writes. To my Jewish brothers, I should like to say that if they go to the New Testament, they will find divinely revealed truth. This is on his deathbed. I think that Christianity can be allowed to develop within the synagogue. The Jews are a nation among other nations of the world. The Jews, like the Catholic Church, must have some outward token of sovereignty. My life was badly lived, and it is taking a bad end. Still, I hope there may be someone who will say of me, he too had some kind of music in his soul. See a believer in his death? They try to say he was crazy, but he became a believer. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Some of you, all, you can't see that, it's too small. But that's Jay Sekulow. He was the chief counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice. Sekulow was the youngest person in the history of the United States to win a court case in front of the Supreme Court. It was the right for Jews for Jesus to hand out tracts at L.A. Municipal Airport. Youngest person to win a court case. And he has been in front of the Supreme Court many, many times. And obviously we know him as being counsel to a past president. And we're not going to mention him today. But I just want you to know that he's all over the radio and he's been a very, very influential Jewish believer. Why? To help the church, in a sense, deal with First Amendment rights. And then I want you to go back, Kina. Go back a slide. Go back one more. Dr. Bernie Nathanson. Runs, he ran the largest abortion clinic in the world. He co-founded the National Association of the Repeal of Abortion Law, and after being directly involved in over 75,000 abortions, including one of his own children, and seeing his political goals achieved with the Supreme Court ruling of Roe v. Wade, um, he was very happy. And he's Jewish. And he aborted his own son. Next slide. In the late 1970, he does a complete turnaround and becomes a leading pro-life advocate and produces a film called The Silent Scream. Because after sonograms were part of the vernacular, he saw it and he completely changed his mind about abortion. Imagine that. And produced a film to, to hear and see what went on inside the mother's womb and basically decided to give his life. For the first 10 years after he changed his stance, he was an atheist. But you know who he kept on meeting at these abortion clinics? Christians who were steadfast in protecting the life of the baby, and he was so enthralled with what they were doing and how they prayed for others that he became a Jewish believer. Why did I bring him up? Well, obviously, we all know what happened a couple of days. And I want you to know today, I don't care what you did in your life. If God could redeem this Jewish man after doing that, he could redeem you or anybody in your family. That's how good our God is. Amen?
Amen. And let's finish up. So now we have to go next slide. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but from life from the dead? So not only did you hear about past and present remnant, I'm part of the present remnant. Do you know there's going to be a prophetic future remnant of the Jewish people? Well, why wouldn't there? Paul wrote that God always had a remnant in the past and he still has a remnant in the present and in the future God will use Jewish people to preach his message. In the book of Revelation, and I know that we might have some disagreements on this, but I want you to see it from the right view, the Jewish view. (laughs) He'll have two Jewish Preachers preach to the world who believe in Jesus. I believe the 144,000 are all Jews and not Jehovah Witnesses because they're from the 12 tribes. And Paul writes in Romans 11:26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Isn't that amazing? That at the end times, Paul writes, through all of this, Who's ever left, the remnant of Israel will all be saved. And even though we have disagreements on how that might happen, that's a fact. God is not done with the Jewish people, and he still needs both Jew and Gentile together to reach them. Okay, next slide. Unless they be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon the Israel. Not all Israel, part of Israel. There's always been a remnant. When? Until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. So guys, hurry up, okay? When and how that happens, again, there's disagreement, but Paul writes, there's been a partial hardening of the Jewish people until the fullness of the Gentiles. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And it will be interesting to see. You're going to be preaching this in the next couple of weeks. So we have to deal with it. And again, it's a mystery. It was there. And Paul kind of talks about there's always going to be a remnant. God had a plan. But here's the beauty. Not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. Amen? Amen. Next slide. And there's a mystery of the rejected Messiah. I'm going to end on this. Why? Because God predicted that the Jewish people in the world would reject his Messiah. And it's found in Isaiah 53, one of the most important chapters for Jewish evangelism that we can use. So let me just read a few verses. Go ahead. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was rejected, he was stricken, he was smitten, afflicted, not just by the Jewish people, but says by men. Next slide. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and he did not open his mouth unlike a lamb that is led to slaughter. Now, who is this talking about? See, the Jewish people, when you read this for the first time, almost every Jewish person who read this for the first time and didn't know what they were reading, you know who they believed it was? Jesus. If you bring this to your rabbi, the rabbis will say, it's been the Jewish people that Isaiah's talking about. They've been rejected by the world. They've been afflicted. They've been ostracized. But here's the key. Next slide. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him as he put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. There's the key. You know why the Messiah died? He had to Because he had to take away our sins, our guilt. See, the Jewish people could never do that. 
You can't die as a Jew for the sins of somebody else. Only the greatest Jew of all time, Jesus the Messiah. And he shall see his offspring. Do you know that we're his offspring? We're his spiritual offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And it's still going on today. And I want to end with this. I have a book table and I want you to take advantage of me being here. I told Rick, I don't always bring my books, but today I have a couple of really nice books that I want you to take advantage of. If you're new to the idea of the persecution of what was said to Jewish people um, by the church, um, one of my co-workers, Olivier Melnick, wrote, They Have Conspired Against You. And it kind of talks about some of this history, and if that interests you, please just come by my book table. I have another book written by one of our other missionaries, Dr. Richard Freeman, called The Heart of the Apostle, and his doctrinal thesis was Romans 9, 10, and 11. Now, Dr. Rich shares something common with Pastor Rick, is they both have a D-men from the same person from Gordon Conwell. And anybody, here's a test. Anybody know what Dr. Harrington's thesis book is? If you don't, I'm going to recommend that you get it. It's pretty cool. He gave me a copy. Thank you very much. And signed it. Called The Weight of Preaching. And then we wrote a book called The Remnant and Renewal. Do you know which remnant was very important in the early 80s and 90s? Russian Jewish Messianic Jews. You know why God called them? Because guess how many Ukrainian Messianic Jewish congregations there are right now in that country? Like 50 to 60. You know there's thousands and thousands of Russian-speaking Jews in Ukraine preaching the gospel, helping the Jewish people understand what's going on and being a help. So this book kind of documents that. And in closing, I have a gift for some of the people in this room. Why? Because chosen people, one of our most effective witnessing tools is giving out a book called Isaiah chapter 53 explained. And we have a whole website. So I have some gifts this morning because I don't think that we're done yet reaching Jewish people with the good news. And, um, and like the Gideons, we're not in 1,700 languages because Jewish people only speak a few languages. But we have translated this book and so uh, Rick and Jess, Jess especially, I don't know if I gave you one of these Isaiah 53 in Hebrew, but I'm going to give you another one. You know why? I don't know if you know this, but Jess has a brother-in-law who's Israeli. And I don't know if you've given him the book or not, but I'm going to double your trouble. I'm going to have you pray that God would bring another Israeli into your life that you can be able to give this book to. Okay? So this is for you. And while you're coming down young, I need you to come up. Okay? And you can be praying that you'll meet. We might be going to Israel again together, and maybe you'll do that. Young, do you know that we wrote Isaiah 53 in Korean? And you go to Korean sometimes, and maybe the next time you go, here's what I want you and Joe to pray for. Lord, put me in capacity to talk to a Jewish person and I have a book for them. Now maybe, maybe there's a Jewish guy married to a Korean woman and you could give her the book and she could give this to her husband, okay? So that's my gift to you. Okay. Common. You speak Spanish? Well, we write this book in Spanish because there's a million Spanish-speaking Jewish people. So if you would come up I'm going to ask that you would pray that God would put a Spanish-speaking, unsaved Jewish person in your life so that you could share the gospel with them, okay? Thank you. And then finally, Josiah, can you come down? We have Isaiah 53 in German, but I don't have a copy. Okay? But Josiah, you're going to a part of the world that you're going to encounter a lot of people who speak Aramaic, a lot of Muslims. So not only do I want to reach Jewish people, I want to reach Muslims. Why? They're very open. So Josiah, I want to do you a favor. (laughs) 
I want you, when you go, to say, Lord, put an Arab unsaved person in my life so that I could give him this book because he can read Isaiah 53 and know that Jesus is the Messiah too. Okay? So that's for you. So in closing, did God have a plan? Did, well, let's put it this way. Did the Jewish people reject Jesus? Yes. Did the Gentiles reject Jesus? Yes. Did the world reject Jesus? Yes. But God had a plan. He had a plan that through the remnant, the remnant that went from Abraham to Moses, David, Elijah, Paul, Mitch Foreman in the future, that we collectively together would reach the world with the good news. So we talked that there was a covenantal argument, a biological, a theological, historical, and prophetic. There's a reason why there's a remnant. Next week, you're going to hear the Gentile side of stuff because Rick's message is going to start off that the Gentiles have been grafted in to make Jewish people jealous. And I'll be very happy to hear that there's two sides to the coin. I represent the Jewish side. Pastor Rick, I know that you'll represent the Gentile side and God bless the Lord for giving us a perfect plan. Let me pray. Avino Malkeno, our Father and King, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Lord, for those men that went before me and those who will go ahead of me. Lord, I pray for my son Josh and Alana, who are here today representing the third generation of Messianic Jewish believers in the world. We've never seen that before. I pray for Paul, who wrote these words to the church, and I thank you, Lord, for this church, that we can do this together, that we can have some differences in how we look at the scriptures, but we all agree, both Jew and Gentile, need to hear the gospel message, and we do it together, and we send out missionaries, and thank you, Lord, for the church sending me out to be their ambassador to the Jewish world, and Lord, I'm looking forward to how You'll use this church to not just reach Gentiles, but Jewish people too. In the name of the Messiah, amen. Uh, Just one more thing in closing. I do have a book table. All the books that I brought were just $10. If you don't get my personal prayer letter every month, there's a sign-up sheet. And if you feel led to give an extra above and beyond gift today, you can write out a check or put it on a credit card to just make it out to Chosen People Ministries. And if you could do that, I would be very blessed. Amen.